Are you there? Hello? Is that you, Mr. Gilbert? Hello? Hello? Gilbert here? This is Barker speaking. Can you repeat that, please? Well, might as well open the window and shut down the street. Hello and welcome to the, we're going to say, first Film Ireland <laughs> podcast. Yeah, that's right. It's the first of the season. Uh, we'll be much more seasonable and regular with them these times, considering we've figured out our demographic. I return to you, Dunica Tiernan, after a failed emigration to America. It turns out uh, Hollywood is not a film stronghold anymore, but a street that smells of urine where people try to sell you things. Um, so yeah, that's where I've been. My failed immigration, luckily, Film Ireland, and uh, they kept a nice little dusty cat flap that I could crawl through. And um, I, I've never had to do a podcast on my hands and knees before, but you got to start somewhere. Rory Moore, uh, my prone position friend, is sitting in a chair just above me here. Rory, how you doing? <laughs> hands and knees sounds more suited to Hollywood, to be honest. Um, where do yeah. you think I learned it? Yeah, <laughs> no, I haven't. Callous been elbows, in I have now. I have not been in Hollywood. I've been locked in the room since you've gone, and I'm actually quite angry to hear about the cat flap because I didn't know there was a way out. <laughs> Have you been fed? No, but you know, plaster doesn't taste so bad. Oh, God, you've got a remarkable constitution, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, we're going to stick to the uh, regular format here today, um, except in terms of, hor- of homework, but if we feel like we'll just talk about an old movie we've seen recently. Yeah, How that does works. that sound? That works. Uh, right, um, so uh, let's go with uh, the usual format. Let's start off with movie news. Yeah, movie news. Um, trying to keep it specifically Irish this time because... Uh, anyone well, except who- for the other thing that I want to bitch about. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly what I was about to prelude with was, yeah, we had all the, the Marvel news. We'll get into that, but the Marvel features on every single podcast we do. But I know, and I hate that. Yeah. And that's what they're doing on purpose which is why I want to bitch about it right now. Okay. All right, you want to leave with that? Go for it. Okay, so Marvel had a big ass... uh, Basically, yeah. um, Can I say dick measuring? I did, right? (laughs) So Marvel uh, just grappled right away with the dick measuring competition. They essentially started by flagging their uh, film material in the DC comic universe's uh, face, which they didn't really need to because, let's face it, they uh, outright said that there wouldn't be any laughs in the DC universe. So as far as I'm concerned, Marvel has won already. But... Now, they've released their entire... Sorry, we're being mortared, I think. But <laughs> go <laughs> ahead, anyway. They've re- released their entire film slate as a studio for the next 10 years, which is just... Did DC not do it first, though? They, DC did wrong? do it yeah, first, yeah. and it's just like, like, I thought that was silly. I think this is silly. They, we've already said that the Avengers 3 is going to be in two parts with a bunch of stuff I don't care about. I just want to say that I officially, as of now, treat... Every release with a, well, except for Avengers 2, with a bit of disdain. Because it's just like, it's just disappointing. I'm sorry, I mean, have people could, t- despite the fact that I love to bitch about the guy, people could take a leaf out of the likes of J.J. Abrams' book, or no, better example, Christopher Nolan, and just keep a few tricks up your sleeve yeah. for the moment where you enter that darkened room and then take in your storyline. Yeah, I mean, I think you're carrying enough in as it is with the expectations of them being adaptations of characters that yeah. have been going for decades. So don't tell Everyone me. Everyone knew Mark Miller's Civil War was going to come along eventually. Now, now we know that they've given it a different name, but like. No, no, they've called it Civil War. It was originally something else, and that they've just come out and called it Civil War. That's like, Captain America, yeah. Yeah, no, I like. Um, I'd I'd like some of the some of the magic reserved personally. Uh, yeah, no, um, this 
it's gone beyond. I like it. No, I've always said, especially when I was talking about Amazing Spider-Man two earlier this month, that these are breaking into a different genre of film where they cater specifically for fans. But this is just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's uh, what what kind of maybe I'm giving him too much credit here, but uh, you, I might have mentioned before, I'm a slight fan of Joss Whedon, mm. but I mean, a lot of it is going to be tied down to my interest. I mean, it's going to be tied down to how how much of this he's there. How for. long he stays with them? Because he's only officially and, and there how for much the they next. Can consistently rotate their charter of talented directors, which they've had a fair access to, but like in my. Uh, in my book, if you're a talented director, you're going to get a bit sick of this. Like, I don't even think Ryan Johnson is going to brave through two Star Wars movies. He's got too much of a, a like, it, it, to be honest, a, an independently adequate movie-making soul to be sticking with that sort of nonsense for too long. I just, I, I, I kind of resent the fact that we're going to see, um, like, directors crop up, make one good film, and then they're, a lot of them are going to be ushered into this studio format, which is a great thing for their careers, but I'd rather see them keep making independent films. Do you know where that works? Or not where, you know where that sort of mindset works? In the very small the very small big franchise of the Mission Impossible world. Now, I've said it before. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I've said it before. No, I understand. I'm a understand. huge fan of what, what, what they do there because they basically, the films are formulaic. Everybody knows it, but what Tom Cruise's line producer does every time, Brian De Palma, John Woo, J.J. Abrams, Brad Bird, and now Christopher McQuarrie, every time he's had a director with an original vision, and they're all very visually original films. Yeah. yeah. And despite the fact that I thought the, the second and me, the second and a half of the third was rubbish, I do admire, uh, like admire the originality. That's the place for this sort of nonsense. Um, Ryan Johnson, do a Mission Impossible. Don't engage in the like this sort of franchise toy action figure, baby. Yeah. It'll it'll kill. It, it it'll all come back to that press conference George Lucas and Steven Spielberg had about a year and a half ago, where they said, f- "Like independent and artistic filmmaking is dead, and here's why." Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's dead because I I don't know can this kind of format sustain itself that's what bothers me about it is they've committed to making these films up until what is it like it's mid 2020s yeah it's if not ridiculous. even later my interest my interest won't be sustained i can guarantee that already yeah. i mean they they have enough money to make all the films i have no doubt and they have the fan base form that people will probably stay keep going to them but because they've committed to doing it they're not commissioning another off the back of the last one being good anymore it's going to be oh this didn't work let's give this guy it's, it's kind of like mm. the worst of the bond movies at this stage it's like someone will make it yeah um and and yeah, that kind of, that kind of bothers me. And even just to say specifically, like Sir Ryan Johnson, for the next six or seven years, I'm not going to see a film that he taught Ryan of himself. Johnson. And you know, that and yeah, me. and he's a, he's he's one he's one of the like okay, the, the great author these days is um, Paul Thomas Anderson, but Ryan Johnson is certainly one as yeah. well. I, I'm sorry, like, but expects, except for the bigwigs, I have a massive respect for people who write and direct their own stuff. And uh, when you usher him in to write and direct a Star Wars movie, there's no way. J.J. Abrams didn't give him a few post-it notes. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not It's not his. So from spiraling out from that, yeah, basically, I think we can both agree that this franchise filmmaking is killing independent, arti- independent artists. You heard it here first. Yeah. Would, 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 would it not be just like better, like, I mean, like you've made a great example with the Bond films or indeed the Mission Impossible ones where these are essentially producers' films. Yeah, it's going. I think it's going to go the way people are making much of the la- in the last few years, last decade even of TV now being the home of creativity, and that's where writers are going to do things. And film is actually well, specifically. Oh, speaking of which, Walking Dead, Walking Dead, Walking Dead. <laughs> I got it. All right, that's done. We'll okay. get back to that. We'll get back to that. But no, I think it's going the way that TV used to be, which was uh, the director isn't there to do anything or innovate; they're there to finish it and hopefully make money off it and if they don't it's the next person like no one gives a shit who directed any TV show before the last 10 years I think. and that said Sons of Anarchy Sons of Anarchy Sons of Anarchy <laughs> uh, whew. Um, how do you system 
Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Just sweaty men in general. <laughs> also, you were right. This Hippity's coffee is delicious. Hippity's coffee. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what else we got on the movie news slate? We um, pitched enough about the Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one one final note on that. Sorry, that's my phone. Um, the <laughs> That's Marvel saying, you're never going to get a job in this industry. <laughs> uh, we've just bought this building. No, the, the saddest thing about everything we're bitching about there, more than likely we're going to be paying to put our arses in the seats of most oh, of these films. A, that's, so it's, it's, so it, like it's resentfulness towards my future self yeah. oh god I really like wish I he, he could appear to me just before what's it called Dawn of Justice and go you know you're not gonna yeah. like it I know I'm not gonna like it Oh uh, well. anyway but yeah um, so I suppose to focus a bit more on the Irish stuff there's plenty of news I mean we could go back through Great stuff all the months that we've missed but I'm, I'll try and keep it as recent as possible we'll keep it current um, the first one is uh very biased in that there was a lot of news to pick from, but I picked from this one because it looks really interesting. Um, Brendan Muldowney, who directed Love Eternal uh, recently, it was an award, yeah. award-winning film, um, shown in the IFI, pretty good one. But uh, he has had a script in development that has now been picked up by a production company called Pilgrimage. Um, I was telling you about this one. It's set uh, in the 13th century. Oh, yes. Th- yeah, 13th century Ireland about a group of monks who have to escort a relic from the monastery to Rome. And this is brilliant, if only for the fact that the Dark Ages are such an underfilmed era. Yeah, particularly in Ireland. I mean, the only one I can think of where I saw, I think, uh, oh no, I'm going to have to ca- cash in some form of card here, but you know, Tristan and Isolde, the James Franco one, way back. Well, oh. maybe six or seven years. But that's the only glimpse we've seen of it. That's what I'm saying. That's why that's I want to get back there. Film. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Oh, so. I'd, I'd wipe that from memory. That's nearly <laughs> three hours. Oh, I hated that. Yeah, that's an opera where they changed it to a dialogue. It was originally an opera. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm This... Yeah, to me, anyway, sounds fascinating. The only film I can think of successfully based in the Dark Ages... Well, no, actually, I, there was a Sean Bean death recently in The Black Death that was actually pretty good. It's called Black Death. Yeah, that was um, just after Game of Thrones or it came actually, out just after, I actually after, yeah. r- did really enjoy that film. It got a lot, an awful lot of casualness in the press. Um, and uh, as well, the obvious one, um, Ingmar... Bergman, uh, yeah, yeah, Seven Seal, Seal, yeah, Seven Seal. It's a great movie. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you it's... heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> we are current. No, it's been picked up by XYZ Films, which um, it's going to be a Belgian Irish co-production. So I'm assuming that that that's a Belgian uh, production company. I'm not actually sure, but uh, yeah, so it'll be filmed here and in parts of Belgium, starting filming in April next year, I believe. So we need to start growing the beards and shaving the what you call it, the tonsures, oh, tonsures, the monk thing, yeah. And uh, I have a big baggy robe that will do. It's Ever since wearing. trying to keep ahead of Martin Scorsese, thereby reading that novel Silence, I've just thought monks are awesome. Yeah. I've got a real thing for the for what they got going on. I even saw a... Uh, oh, never mind. No, I'm going to talk about a film from the yeah. 70s. Never mind. Okay, we'll keep it current. No, last monk I enjoyed on screen was... Um, a Bulletproof One, played by Chow Yun-Fat. Uh, no, what the hell is the, the, the uh, mean machine? Jason oh, Statham's Jason book. Statham. That's fantastic. <laughs> He's a silent, contemplative type. But uh, anyway, moving on. Um, further Irish news. We have um, the Irish uh, soap opera, uh, Red Rock, is now officially in production. It's TV3's answer to Fair City, I suppose. Not um, to be confused with the 1994 cash-in movie starring Nicolas Cage, Red Rock West. Now I know that. <laughs> it's probably based on that now I think of it. Um, it's TV3. Yeah. <laughs> Anything can happen. It's... Yeah. Oh, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing the TV3 incarnate. Like, I've, we've seen their incarnation of a news station, and it is priceless. What's their... Uh... I'm actually really interested. The, the reason I'm mentioning oh, yeah, it totally. is because, first of all, it's, you know, it's extra work for... I mean, there's been one, two, well, yeah. two soap operas in Ireland, and that's the most consistent writing on TV, uh, the most consistent TV program. One was fairly shitty. Uh, well, <laughs> that was just too easy. 
Red Rock. What, what can we mock in the name there? Anyway, moving on. Uh, it's coming out in January 2015, but uh, the reason I'm actually really re- interested on it is it's Great set talk. in... Uh, yeah, I was dancing around <laughs> that, like... <laughs> Um, anyway, it's it's set in a police station in Dublin, um, and it kind of focuses around that. And it starts on the Red day. Red Rock is. Yeah, and it it starts on the day of uh, a feud, a, a long kind of dormant feud between two rival families. Sparks up again. I oh, know, I know God. the face you're making. I know what this sounds like. But what's interesting is they look to be trying to make some kind of. You know what it sounds like as well. Yeah, but it, they look trying to be make some. It kind sounds of, like love hate going CSI. This is what we do in Ireland, okay? But it's it's looking to kind of pair soap opera with the kind of a crime of the week format, and I'm really interested to see how that works out. Whether or not it's successful, I'm glad that someone is doing something other than just a soap opera. Now, by the very fact that they have the this underlying plot, the whole idea of a soap opera. is... First of all, a soap opera doesn't have any seasonal breaks. That's a thing, and it needs to be sustainable, recyclable. It needs to be going on perpetually. So. I'd be interested to see if they're going to try and develop these plots or if it's kind of a way in an interesting way to get people to sit down and watch the first season or the first whatever and then... I'm not going to be the first... This isn't going to be a you heard it here <laughs> first. This is just going to be a statement. This is going to be rubbish. You think so? Oh, it's going to be rubbish. I don't know. But I'm definitely going to watch a lot of it, ironically. Well, you have... Um, this could be the new uh, Irish painting magic. <laughs> you have uh, Jane McGrath, Irish actress... I don't know if you know her. Um, she was in Black Ice most recently, I think. She featured in a role in Game of Thrones. But anyway, she's a great actress and she will be taking a starring role in it. So, you know. Oh, I'm yes, interested. yes. Jane will the side. There's, well, <laughs> there's Irish star power to it, okay? Okay, um, go for it. Anyway, further news. Oh, yeah, this is a great one. I think this is one which should be of particular relevance to us, particularly because you didn't make it in Hollywood. Uh, RT are looking for new presenters for it's kind of a talent search for oh, a, new, a, a, a new TV show called Swipe TV I, I'm, I present things all the time I yeah. present this well you're not wearing clothes yeah oh sorry that was a radio joke I should have oh. oh I thought you said when you present this it was kind of you were opening a robe to me type thing no I was just sorry. presenting the podcast sorry. I was watching David Attenborough recently there was a baboon thing about presenting leave me alone anyway um, Swipe TV it's a digital app and a TV show uh, the demographic is 7 to 12 year olds <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is the best part. This is the best part. It's, Kids love me. It's oh, uh, <laughs> it's going to be about sports. It's looking to aim all facets of you know the busy seven and twelve year olds' uh, lives. But the most interesting part is it's going to be a lifestyle show. Part of it. So you know about the lifestyle choices of a seven to twelve year old. Keep away from the Snigger Matthews kids. Uh, for any kids of mine, you remember Snigger Matthews? Yes, I do. Those little sweets you get free with Dandy Comics. Um, yeah, that's a poor lifestyle choice. Have a piece of fruit. But anyway, for anyone interested in this, aside from us, I think we've already proved that we are not fit for it. Uh, there's more on the RT I'm website. I've run four marathons. And you almost go a full day without saying that to me. <laughs> Every time. What else? I suppose last bit of news so we can move on. Uh, Ripper Street, the Victorian crime drama, which is set in Victorian London, but filmed in Dublin, will be back uh, on November 14th. Anyone who follows this probably knows it was cancelled after its second season. It was then picked up by Amazon Prime. Excuse me. And um, I, I actually didn't hate Ripper Street. Uh, I was I was disappointed to see it go because when I first watched it, I kind of went, "There's nothing really outstanding to this besides the fact that it's a really good production design, really good sets, yeah, no, and a good it was, cast." It was shot quite well, and yeah. I like. I like the pulpy stuff when it's, yeah. it's done well. And there was I, there was two episodes of that show I actually quite enjoyed. There was one episode that was one of the best things I've seen on TV in the last year, which was the one about the elephant man. Oh, it's it very yeah, good. John that, was yeah, yeah, that was phenomenal. Um, so that's, I was kind of disappointed to see, see it go because I felt like it was kind of finding its feet and knew what it but was doing. But they're coming back and they're shooting in Dublin. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's already shot. It wrapped not that long ago, actually, but it's going to be starting on November 14th. Oh, rap in Victorian London. That's just not going to work. 
why do you do this? <laughs> I said a hip hop. No. That's a load of poppycock. That was actually wasn't that bad. Um, but yeah, it's eight episodes, but they're not actually following the format of um, a lot of Netflix shows or online video on demand shows where they just release it all at once. It is going to be a weekly thing. I think it's going to air on Fridays. And, um, on Netflix? Uh, no, on Amazon Prime. Oh, what? Yeah. No, they're not one of our sponsors, no? No. Oh, okay. Or Netflix? We just prefer no, Netflix. That's bias. Yeah. Well, that's because I... I... Well, you've paid for Netflix. You haven't yeah. paid for Amazon Prime, <laughs> basically. Um, but yeah, it's going to be eight episodes. And uh, I suppose the most interesting for me was like we were talking there about how there was great potential in it uh, to be as condescending as possible to a TV show. <laughs> but um, it's they're basically the showrunner uh, Richard Waddell has um, I probably mispronounced that has kind of spoken about how much more control has been placed in his hands. They've just kind of taken a step back. And so, what was it that brought it back? Was it just a general public demand? Yeah, ratings? Yeah. yeah, like the well, see the thing is the ratings weren't very good at all, but a lot of people attributed that to I think it was put on opposite the X Factor was on ITV or something, and that is just gonna. I meant to watch The Walking home. Dead when I ended up first watching Record yeah. Street, and I just really liked it. And uh, yeah, so it it didn't have great ratings, but there was enough of a. I think there were fan petitions, and I might have even signed one, as I remember, because I am an activist, you know. Excellent. And good for you. Uh, yeah, so it was brought back. So I'm just hoping that the the season's good enough to warrant it. Uh, to keep it going basically Actually, didn't they have uh, a comedian scholar slash actor Stephen Ryan on the set of Ripper Street recently? they did yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we do definitely have um, photos of that somewhere of him in a monocle and then yeah. they get him in, in, in dress up and he's not allowed to wear the monocle he brought himself or something like that it's <laughs> that kind of guy anyway moving on I think that's all the news um, this podcast is brought to you by Stephen Ryan um, <laughs> now uh, in the midpoint before we get uh, a reviewing um, let's um, let's bring in we've got a, an interview done, conducted by our very own Paul by Paul uh, Farron yeah. by, uh, Paul Farron uh, who interviewed uh, Dick Pope the Dick cinematographer Pope, on cinematographer on Mr. Turner the new the latest uh, Mike Lee release which we're all very excited about been a fan of Mike Lee for years and I understand uh, Mr. Pope has worked with him before uh, so uh, let's give this interview a blast and we'll catch you in a few minutes. Jingle, 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 jingle. One of the things Mike, um, Mike Lee liked about um, my, what I'd done before, my work, uh, where I'd been, was, was the documentary aspect of it. Because uh, his films are very observational <coughs> and um, documentaries allow you to be, you know, pretty fluid and flexible in what you do and um, the lighting is always source driven and, and just the sort of um, I, I don't know my that experience um, was kind of um, you know really interested in him more than the drama that I'd done before so you know he saw he saw that as being a um, yeah, he saw that as being an attribute. You know, in terms of lighting and operating yourself as well, I've, I've always operated the films with Mike, and, uh, you know, through my background, it's pretty intuitive, the operating. I mean, I have very, uh, very um, you know, strong views on what, um, of how the camera should or shouldn't move and composition. Yes. It all kind of goes right back all those years through the documentary experience, really. I was going to say, I've, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing Mike years ago, and he has such an unusual approach to how he kind of works to create the subject matter to begin with in general. I don't know how he That's worked right. on Turner, but he... Oh, but, no, same on Turner. He, ne he never re really... He, it was the same on Topsy Turvy, and they were real characters who had existed. Um, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan. 
so so you know he's never really never really changes it. He has that long rehearsal improvisation period where they they come up with the characters and they still do that 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 was the same on Turner like four and a half months something like that where he works with the actors which I'm not involved in at all but I'm in the background testing the look of the film while that's going on. Uh, which is I, 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 the scene in the Academy, if I'm right, I'm saying, yes. is beautiful. Um, and again, I suppose it's the only scene where I really kind of, not that I got pulled out of the film, because I'm a filmmaker myself now, I wouldn't say I'm a great yes. filmmaker, but, so I couldn't help but admire what was going on with that scene. I mean, how long did that take to shoot? Um, not very long. We were up there, for, I think we were up there for a week five days I think we did it in, um, he, he had the actors in there before. So it was a, it was a big country pile, right? Yeah. <laughs> almost like a, an empty, almost abandoned country pile and um, up, in, up near Sheffield. And they built the Royal Academy, they, Susie Davis, the production designer, um, yes. built the Royal Academy within this big hall there at this country house, which had a marvellous sort of um, marble floor. And so it was a build within a country house. I mean, that's really important to Mike because he's got the freedom then of the whole location. Yes. It couldn't just be a build. And anyway, it had been exorbitantly expensive, way outside our budget to build that in a studio. But it give, by, by it being a real location, it gives Mike the opportunity to be able to do anything with the actors in and out, up the staircase there, where they come up and down the stairs, um, and Queen Victoria and Prince Albert come up the stairs later on. That's right. <laughs> and then they're in a corridor, and then they're in an ante room with the second gallery. You know, by it being a real location, allows Mike the freedom to explore all possibilities with the actors. So a set, so to speak, within a studio, isn't really um, possible for him to, to do his thing within. A, a very constricted space like a, a stage where you walk out the door and it's like the crew and all the equipment are there. <clears throat> so so uh, the, the intent of that scene obviously is, is to give that sense of the kind of hierarchy of, of the artist and how he kind of fits in with that. I was wondering what kind of conversations did you have before you went for that? Because I suppose it seems... Yes, I mean the, the, the location itself was... was um, the location itself, the, the Royal Academy, the build, was based on um, a painting in itself, a painting of the time of that vanishing oh. day at the Royal Academy with all the artists working on their work. And it showed how they hung it with that 45-degree sloping, um, you know, the sloping walls so that everybody could see the paintings clearly from the floor. And it had a very big... Um, domed skyline at the top, which lit the gallery from above. So, you know, this location afforded me a, um, a gallery, in fact, above, over which I, I hung my lights, you know, from, yes. a, um, from a mezzanine level, a, a kind of, uh, you know, like a, 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 railed, um, a railed mezzanine atrium level that I could play the lights from, from up there, out of the shop. So, you know, it was all very carefully 
choreographed and built and uh, the lighting. We talked for ages about it. Yeah, I mean, we prepped it for ages. Uh, I was, I was, I read somewhere that one a nice critique of your work was that your flair for realism and illumination, special composition, uh, spatial composition, and drawing out of the emotional texture. What do you, what do you think of that quote? while you're watching it as such, isn't that the kind yes, of... Yes, that's right. It's, it's kind of... I, I try and make it interesting and obviously emotionally correct of what we're trying to draw out of every scene. Oh, and that goes... That's not only mine, but that's every director I work with. Um, you know, I'm looking for the truth, I suppose, the truth within a scene, to photograph it, to heighten that emotion. Yes. Here we are, we're back. Uh, we're going to be reviewing some films for you now. Uh, seeing as it's been so long since it's been away, I didn't really actually do much cinemaing at all when I, I was in America, except I saw The Guest, which is fantastic. I still should, haven't should, seen should, it, actually. Yeah. Catch a blast that. But uh, just yesterday, I went for a double build to try and catch some up. I'll be going for a, another one tonight, I think. But la just last night, I saw, let's see how you did. Uh, it's been out ages but feck it it's irish kind of uh 71 you seen 71 yes yeah yeah 71 yeah. i really enjoyed that the second jack irish it's been a great year for jack o'connell yeah and a great anti-war movie it's got to be said i think you could remove po politics completely from that situation from that film yeah. which is something that, that american critics said about hunger but i completely disagreed with um but i don't think 71 need be viewed through a political lens at all yeah. it's just what's the line in the film that your cousin uttered? Uh, oh no oh, it's not your cousin not my cousin we're, we're disavowing that he is not a sponsor of this podcast um, yeah it's a great line what is it um, uh, oh yeah they're, they're describing the whole scenario the whole idea of the troubles the whole struggle there and it's uh, posh <coughs> telling thick <coughs> to kill poor <coughs> which is uh, yeah so basically or as Steve Earl said about the Iraq war just another poor man off to fight a rich man's war it's which was more why didn't we go with that I just said 
the C word on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, lads, uh, this seems to be getting as is uh, as is the the par for the course, except seemingly for Jimmy's Hall with even even slightly Irish release. They do well in Ireland and they stay in the cinema for ages. This is still most of the cinemas around the country. Very very tense. Jack O'Connell is one. He's not as good as in Start Up, but he's once again really really showing up. Well, um, a quick like notion of the plot. He basically plays an English soldier who gets caught behind. I don't even want to say behind the enemy lines, but that's essentially that's what, what it is. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, along the Falls Road in Belfast in 1971. Over the course of a night. Yeah, and it's just about him kind of trying to survive and, I suppose... Uh, Getting to know either sides of the conflicts, really. Yeah, between There's different as much factions. tension and violence as you'd expect, um, but it is... Um, it's a chase movie, essentially. You could transplant this anywhere and yeah, it yeah. would be as good, I think. It's the it's um, very much... The, the movie, the film it reminded me most of was... Um, Paul Greengrass's um, Bloody Sunday. Yeah. But I'll tell you what what I favoured most about this film is everyone you see just because uh, we're the more sympathetic side every film you see about the North conflict seems to come from the Irish side and once you switched it to the side of a young British soldier it lost all its gung-ho sensibility and you it, it kind of granted it an objectivity that I've not yet seen before no matter what film I watch about the North I know which way I'm rooting always yeah like I don't think what what I really liked about it what I was worried about it go, going in even was, Hunger has gung-ho well yeah but I, I thought this would be kind of jingoistic going in and that it was just going to be either the Irish were going to be portrayed as villainous and like or sorry the, 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 the Catholics I suppose and the IRA portrayed as villainous um, or it was going to be just a really po-faced uh, commentary on oh aren't the English terrible but it's not that at all it's mm. everyone is terrible in this in a way and, and some people are, are some people aren't terrible but it's it's not about the factions it doesn't make a political comment and it's not trying to I don't think specifically to that context anyway right let's build a, we, we, first of all another so yeah 71 definitely go see it one of the best films I've seen in a long while yeah uh, right uh, talk to me Gone Girl I've read the book I've not seen the film I love David Fincher yeah, I, I love Rosamund Pike what casting she was yes uh, I wanted to wax poetic about this but you haven't seen it so I'll be a little vaguer than, than I was going to but yeah you've read the book I assume the plot is the same it's basically about um, this uh, woman goes missing a uh, man kind of held as a suspect uh, a bit, uh, but something's not quite right. Yeah. The film, uh, the, the book is written chapter for chapter in either one of their diaries leading up to the event in the middle of the book and then after the event. Yeah, the way the film's kind of set out is um, it begins on the morning of her disappearance. Basically, you have, I think his name is Nick Dunn, played by Nick Ben Dunn, Affleck. Yeah. Um, just wakes up one morning, goes to the bar, comes back, and someone has very clearly been wrecking his house, gone through it, and his wife is missing. There's blood on the wall, this kind of thing. So he calls the police. And um, basically, the, the, the police's unfolding investigation, where he inevitably becomes a suspect, um, is intercut with his wife's diary entries, uh, voiceover. She's played by Rosamund Pike, who's fantastic in this. Um, I think she's fantastic in everything. I mean, yeah, huge but fan but this is this is the yeah. first time I, I've seen her. Like, I, I think the the, the reaction she kind of got in the states because of it was people were like, "Who the hell is she?" Because she is she's British, isn't it? Yeah, Rose, and Rose Pike is, I would argue as well, which is exactly what you needed for this role. As you say, things aren't quite what they seem. There's a bit of a twist, maybe two thirds of the way through. Uh, but I, I think I suppose the film's best merit is. I kind of saw the twist coming, but it's the way it unfolds and the way it ends. Now, I, I remember I was with you when you finished that book and you... Uh, I threw it at the wall. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I was like, all right, I must read that. I still haven't, but I, I'm not sure if the book ends the same way. I don't know how much I should go into it on the podcast for people who haven't seen it, but it's definitely worth seeing. Um, uh, is it up there with Fincher's best? 
Um, well, I mean, Fight Club has Fight Club and the Social Network are where I'm at. at that yeah, side. it has the same kind of slick style as the Social Network, but that's. I mean, if I wanted to read that's into seven. it, gotta mention. Seven. Yeah, Jesus, well, that's yeah. a different Actually, era of Fincher, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I had issues with it in that it this twist. Also, you kind of have to be on board with changing the tone of it because mm. initially it's about oh, absolutely, yeah, like it's it's relentless kind of um, how cosmetic and superficial people can be in relationships. Like mm. they're the perfect poster couple, and you get the sense that there's not much that much underlying it, and you know this kind of thing. That's all done very well, and that he shoots it really slickly and really like beautifully. So there's this cosmetic feel to it, but. Uh, I, I, I again, I don't want to say too much. It kind of turns into a comic book movie for like the last third. Just put it this way: if there were a sequel, I would expect to see Rosamund Pike's character featuring. It would be like Ocean's Eleven versus Rosamund Pike's character, or the Avengers versus Rosamund Pike's yeah, character. That's the thing. That people, uh, a few, two people have said to me now: it's like, oh, it's cool the way they left it open for a sequel. And having read the book, I was like, no, what? I, no, I don't feel that there's a sequel. But that's what I mean. If there were to be one, it would have to follow on from that shift of tone. It would be a very different film to how this film starts. Um, but I will say Ben Affleck um, I wasn't really optimistic going into it because I watched the trailers and I thought that there was a plot point I was going in as blind as I could I thought it was a plot point that he was maybe a little bit socially inept because people mm. part of the reason he comes under he's suspicion he's a bit of an Egypt. yeah part of the reason he comes under suspicion is he doesn't seem to be as distraught as he should be he smiles in front of his wife's mm. missing poster for photos poses with people this kind of thing so I thought he was either a sociopath or not fully there and neither he is quite good in this but um yeah, he's not. Basically... Anyway, we shouldn't dwell too long yeah. on this because most people have probably seen it. But Bottom line is everyone in this is insufferable in the best possible way. <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh, we're, 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 before we tackle the biggie of the week, uh, you've seen The Guarantee, have you? I have, yeah. The I think it's been out a, a good while this year. I'll do my crawler then. A week and a half. Stellar. Yeah, um, yeah, The Guarantee is basically a look at uh, the run-up to the Irish banking collapse and the night in, I think it was September 2008 when the government decided to guarantee the bank it's based on a play by Colin Murphy called Guaranteed which he also adapted for the film uh, directed by Ian Power I, I, I liked it in that it was trying to tackle this in a dramatic way I mean documentaries I'd love to see a documentary on this subject uh, which I'll come back to but I feel like if you want to educate I'm using air quotes here people about the, this um financial crisis because not many people know the minutiae of it I certainly don't like I've read around it I think drama is the best way in, but I suppose the problem with this film is that um, it just it tries to be drama and documentary. It tries to be factual and show how much it knows while still providing a human story, and it doesn't really because of that it gets pulled between. I both find and Richard, really Richard Linklater already failed at that with Fast Food Nation, which was a non-fiction book. Yeah, which starred Greg Kinnear. Actually, I, I, I won't. I, yeah, uh, but I, I won't go into um, this film particularly. But you recommended Margin Call to me, and I actually watched that before mm. this. Margin Call is the way that this film should have been done. Margin Call is. Excellent. Yeah, but see, Magic Call, it's, it's a fictionalized firm, isn't it? It's, it is, yeah, but it's Goldman Sachs. Yeah, but this, um, this is... Um, this is Finest Jeremy Irons performance I've ever seen. Yeah, Zachary Quinto, isn't it? He's yeah. Quite, yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, the guarantee basically is is you have um, Gary Lydon plays Brian Cowan. You have, I think, David Murray playing um, Brian Lenehan, and he's the best thing about this film. He's phenomenal in it, although you're obviously going in with the baggage of knowing that Brian Lennon is dying at this mm. time or is, is see, soon I to be really dying. I really want to see this film. Definitely. I, I would definitely go see it because I'd be interested to see what you think. My issue with it was it's it's quite low budget, I think, but you can't hold that against it. But because no, of I that, wouldn't. there's a really artificial... I feel like there was a chance to shoot this in 
not grungy offices, obviously they're banks, but shoot them in real offices. But what they did was they hired out a soundstage, I don't know where, but you have these press conferences that are backlit and, you know, the camera's swooping in slowly as someone's speaking and it, it, it's applying such... Is it well written? It's... Colin Murphy definitely knows what he's on about and I'd love to see the play. It doesn't work in the film because Colin it does... Colin Murphy... Not the comedian, no. Right. Um, I, I don't think so, you know, I'm, I'm nearly certain it's not the comedian. But uh, basically, you can tell he knows what he's talking about. You can tell that there's a good film or a good documentary in there somewhere. But the problem with it is, it's it it just layers too much melodrama on. I think. Okay. But yeah, de- definitely go see it. See what it's like. Out of an Irish interest in the subject, I I would, and I think I yeah. will go to see that. And I'd love to see Colin Murphy or someone, obviously, with the knowledge that they approached this film with, do a documentary. Mm. Um, because I it would be very interesting. But anyway, um, no, I want to approach um, uh, Nightcrawler, wasn't it? I want to approach the bench. Yeah, with Nightcrawler. <laughs> uh, Nightcrawler in Nightcrawler is the story of Jake Gyllenhaal's character, uh, Lou Bloom. Okay, and uh, he is essentially he is he's a very uncomfortable watch from the start, um, and he ga- he gains a profession in basically listening in on a, pr- on a police radio and getting to scenes of of violence before um, uh, before. The emergency services are before the emergency services or anybody if he can or before other reporters and to sell the footage right it's written and directed by dan gilroy who's tony gilroy's brother uh born films and that uh, so he has had a, it's good because he, he's been in hollywood working around for a while and he's had a, a bit of t- time to grunge out this very specific storyline and it's very impressive how it all came together um now first of all J- you'll hear a lot of perf- uh, talk about jake gyllenhaal's performance which is brilliant. It's not his best. Check out the Film Ireland website for my uh, run through on his <laughs> top five best performances. Um, it's not his, but he, he's very, very good in it. Be, you, you, because you're wondering, is like I'd love to see an origin story for this character for Lou Bloom. Um, he basically he picks up a young apprentice to help him out, and he starts a very close working relationship with a news network head played by Rene Russo, who's at, in turn both fascinated and disgusted by this guy. And now. Tension amped up at all times, especially when he gets to crime scenes before the police, because he he drives erratically and crazy in it. Now, you if you've seen any films at, at all, you won't be able to get a half hour into this without wondering: Is this just a generational remake of Taxi Driver and what the themes mean? And it very may well be, but it's also one of those um, staring into the abyss films as it stares back out at you about voyeurism and violence and society's fascination with it it's an uncomfortable watch it's thrilling but at the same time it knots in your stomach because you, like there there was a lot of laughing in the cinema I was in and it is funny but from a certain angle you can't help but like feel like you're the film's subject essentially you're 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 what it's your society is what inspired it because no matter how loom bloom disgusts you and he will disgust you he's a product of the world we live in and live in quite actively and take like that's the thing i mean um what is it on the television show peep show uh jeremy once on a date uh says uh i know it was bad but wasn't 9-11 the best news ever it was the best news ever and it's going at that and there's no two ways about it and he knows all lou bloom his character knows all this his stats and i don't know I, there's a number of fair plays in it, but um, 
I, I don't know who shot this film. I must look it up because uh, they did an excellent job. I'm pretty sure it was a heavyweight cinematographer. I can't remember who, but... It brought me very much to out. mind of uh, Nicholas Finding Ref's uh, L.A. in Driver because it's it, it set in L.A. But Dan Gilroy, all credit to him. He's got... He's uh, Rene Russo's wife, which is um, maybe how he got such a great performance out of her, but she's very good in it. I really enjoyed her in it. Mm. Jake Gyllenhaal stealing all sorts of shows with it. Um, that's he's, He is all you'll hear about. Essentially, it's, I don't know, I hate saying things like this, but it does feel like the offspring of uh, Taxi Driver and Paul and Pressburger's Peeping Tom. It's not as good as either of those films. It is very, very good. An uncomfortable watch. If you take your cinema seriously, I'd really recommend this. Would it be up there in some of your, one of your top tens this year, say? Of or? the year? It'll, I'll need, uh, first of all, I'll need a second watch to see yeah, it yeah. completely disgust me, quite frankly. Like with the the film Shame, I wasn't able to realise how much I loved it till I watched it yeah, the second yeah. time. But this one took a bit of pro- processing in me, and I'll definitely see it again. Because the one overwhelming feeling, no matter how sick I felt during it and stuff, the second the credits rolled, I was like, no, I want more of that! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good! I mean, does does that sense of sickness come from... Like, I haven't seen it, I should establish, but um, I'm, I'm mad to... But I'm actually kind of glad I was going to go see Gone Girl and then go straight into Nightcrawler. And I think... Oh, that would have been a cracking double bill by the sound I of would, things. No, I would have <laughs> had to drag myself into this room, I think, to, to even speak to another human being by the sounds of it. But, um, no, uh, it, it kind of sounds like... Um, say, I think it was you I was talking about this. Remember when Sam Saddam Hussein was um, executed? And yeah. people were sharing the video, and I was like, I don't want to watch that. But a part of me, so many times, very nearly clicked it. I did. And I it's, it. Yeah, but it's just that impulse to kind of like, you might I say... I felt sick afterwards, but I did watch yeah, it. Yeah, like this feels like a, a pulpy kind of Patrick Bateman style of... of so all the Jennifer character. Lawrence pictures, I, I, it's, I can't help but click. It's, yeah, and it's that kind of part of ourselves that we don't really like to acknowledge. I'm, I am mad to see this now, but is it going to kind of get too much credit on the side of Jake Gyllenhaal? Like, the first thing I saw was set honest, photos, right, Jake Gyllenhaal, they, skinny. The reason that they haven't aimed for award season with this is because I find it very unlikely that they will give him an award because, right, people will present the exception to the rule to this. Uh, as uh, either Heat Ledger's The Joker or Denzel Washington. They don't give awards to dislikable characters on this level. Maybe they do it in Cannes. They, they do John, um, Mike Lay's naked uh, David Thewlis one yeah. for Johnny, a deplorable character. But I, I don't care who you are. Everyone loves the Joker and everyone loved Denzel in Training Day. Lou Bloom will make you feel physically ill. Okay. Um... And, that sounds um, delightful. <laughs> but he's he's brilliant in it. But I uh, like I don't I don't think he's got I don't think this is going to be an awards claimer yeah. personally. Uh, I think it'll it cut too close to the underbelly of Hollywood. Do you reckon it's going to make much money? Like is yes, this kind of thing that absolutely, yeah. absolutely yes. If they adver- and I have seen it advertised everywhere, and I really think it will. Yeah, I'm mad to see it. Um, so right. talk. The big one. Oh yeah, yeah, the one we've we've been hedging around that uh, you slept in for. You oh, Egypt. I slept in for the press screening of this. I don't want to talk about it. This is going to be a conversation, but instead it'll be me talking with you with your hands over your ears, presumably. But yeah. No, I want to hear what you think of okay. this personally. Uh, again, I'll hedge around like I did, Gone Girl. Um, yeah, Interstellar, Christopher Nolan's latest. Um, yeah, it's been as with Christopher Nolan's films. It's I didn't even go near. Say, I saw you reading the Empire uh, feature on it. I don't go near any press for Christopher Nolan films anymore I just want to I don't get in and go near Empire I just read Film Ireland what are oh you yeah about? sorry um, go on anyway. that was a print off a hard copy of Film Ireland <laughs> anyway yeah I, I went in completely blind but uh, bar the trailers maybe but there's always always going to be a certain amount of expectation it was I saw an IMAX um, not 3D because he hates 3D yeah I went in with expectations of something that would be visually gorgeous but also 
say we were talking that uh, Christopher Nolan, he got a, a physicist, an astrophysicist, Kip, Kip Thorne on as an executive producer. He was going to get, you know... And a consultant. Yeah, down and dirty into the into mm. the science of it as well. Um, By all accounts, he spent four years studying the physics of it. Yeah, I mean, this and is... it was originally conceived as a Steven Spielberg project over a decade ago. Yeah, I heard that. But uh, this, this has been in the works for years, mm. basically. And uh, signed on Matthew McConaughey, actually before Matthew McConaughey kind of has I the fame now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost forget that word. Anyway... I, I'll get past all that. A, a quick, quick synopsis of the plot, I suppose. Um, Matt McConaughey plays Cooper, who is a farmer working in near future Earth. It's not really specified when, but it's mm. not that far ahead. It's there are hints made to that there having been a food crisis and people killing one another over food, but things have stabilized again. Mm. And basically, Matt McConaughey is uh, part of what they call a caretaker generation, where they're literally they're growing food. That's only that's where the only money is, and that's what they're told to do. They need to basically keep the civilization or keep the population stable, keep the earth alive, and just you know uh, kind of rebuild, I suppose. And he's very much against this because he used to be a, a test pilot for NASA uh, before things got bad, I suppose. Um, so there's that quintessential line from the trailer: uh, "We used to look up and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we worry about our place in the dirt." Those kind of themes. Basically, he's. He's raising two kids, um, one of whom, uh, the, the, the young uh, Murph, his daughter, uh, is played by Mackenzie Foy. She's fantastic in this. Mm. Um, but anyway, basically he ends up being recruited on this kind of um, Hail Mary mission to enter uh, this wormhole that has appeared yep. by Saturn and find another habitable planet. And uh, yeah, it, it gets down, again, it gets, it gets really heavy in with the physics of it, the whole idea of time dilation relativity basically the further he goes from earth and the faster he travels away from earth the more time passes on earth as it slows down for him yeah so he might only be gone for three years and it might equal 30. yeah so there's this whole idea of he he can't guarantee his family when he's coming back mm. it jumps around a bit in time but i suppose yeah i'll just just get down to the, the effects space in this is gorgeous it's very much like stanley kubrick's space where you've just big wide spacescapes and soft orchestral music playing over it mm. It kind of falls down for me. There are fantastic moments in it, a lot of which I'll attribute to Mackenzie Foy, Jessica Chastain. How long do they spend before they get into space? Uh, actually, it takes its time. It's it's almost three hours, I think. It's That's right. Two it's hours and fifty six minutes. Yeah. So you're actually looking at nearly an hour, I think, before. before yeah. Space. Which I was a bit antsy about, but I appreciated it as the film went on. And how long until you get? To, no, I wouldn't have been antsy about that. How, I would have. I wouldn't have liked it rushed at the start. Yeah. And how long until they get onto a planet? Let's say. Um, once it gets past that bit on Earth, it ticks on fairly quickly from there. What's the third act? Is it satisfying? I thought it's bizarre. This is my issue with it, and again, I'm not going to go into spoilery details because you haven't seen it and people listening probably haven't. It's uneven. Mm. There are some thematic things that they focus on that they do re- really well, particularly this idea of a certain amount of time passing for Matthew McConaughey's character and more time passing on Earth, and the idea of are they going to is he going to save his kids and that generation, or are they going to secure a planet for future generations? Can he cut Better all ties? Better than Inception. I'd put it on par. This, okay. We were talking about this with with Christopher Nolan's films. You go in the first time, you watch them. You emotionally you, engage. Yeah, and then the more you watch them, they kind of that wears off for me. With this, this is the first one I've come out where I felt that already. Recommend. I, Yes, there. It, like I said, it's rocking. We're gonna go see it in IMAX, and we're gonna have a conversation about Dude. it at the next podcast. Yeah, yeah. It, like I said, it's it's once uh, everybody on the planet Earth has seen it. Like, yeah, I, I I could I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face. But basically, it's really rocky. Um, there are fantastic parts, particularly down to Matthew McConaughey. Um, there are other parts where I feel like, despite the fact that it's three hours long, it could have taken a breath and focused on other things. Um, it's uh, like a lot of his could films. Be longer. 
Maybe, or just had certain... I don't mind longevity when it comes to big films like that. I mean, the, the right stuff is one of my Oh, ab- absolutely. Like, like, going into this, I was saying, even if it's thematically unsatisfying and the actors are terrible, if I'm sitting in front of an IMAX screen in three hours worth of space, I'm happy. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it just... It falters a bit for me, but I know a lot of people walking out of the same screen as me adored it. So mm. I'll be interested to see what people think. I think I was going in with, with too much weight of... I've seen Christopher Nolan's films so many times that maybe his focus on, I suppose, head over heart mm. kind of doesn't sit well with me a lot of the time. What's your film of the week? Film of, of all the, the ones we talked about Of today. all the ones we talked about today. Um, so it doesn't need to necessarily be released this week. Gone Girl, probably. Gone Girl. Yeah, I'll give a quick shout-out before we go. I won't review the Skeleton Twins. Mm. Uh, have you heard of this? Bi- I have, yeah. Bill, Bill Hader, Hader Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Kristen Wiig. Um, not at all what you think. Nothing groundbreaking. It's this kind of quirky thing about two twins who something happens in their past. They spend 10 years out seeing one another and then they both try and kill it, kill one, kill themselves on the same day, like different sides of the country. So they kind of reunite and she's looking after him and it's just kind of... It it sounds like the bare bones. They're reconnecting after all this time, kind of film, which it is. But it has enough. Sounds like relatively okay and do fair. I'd give it a, a shot. Yeah, that's the thing. But it, it what kind of elevates it above that is you have Luke Wilson, who's very good in it. Um, Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader, Hader obviously have this chemistry from probably from SNL, and um, I can't remember his name. The guy who plays Phil Dunphy in Modern Family. He's in a two in quite a dramatic role and he's very good, but I won't say anymore. Well, my we'll film of the week is going to be Nightcrawler, but I'd like to give another shout out that next year, uh, next week, I'll be uh, reviewing uh, Donald Foreman's Out of Here, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm going to leave that off for the moment just because I'm interviewing him and that is going to be included in the next yeah. podcast. In uh, about 20 minutes, you're interviewing him, which is why we probably need to about, go. In about now, actually. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, my film of the week, though, is going to be Nightcrawler, um, but let's kick the start of homework, uh, the homework again. I'm going to recommend uh, you a film that I know you haven't uh, yet seen and needn't be thematic. I'm just going to say watch Paul and Pressburger's Peeping Tom. Ah, uh, yes. This isn't fair. You told me this beforehand. Uh, what will I recommend to you? What have I seen recently? Um, watch The Seventh Seal again, actually. Okay. I want to talk more about um I'm I'm going to rewatch it. Uh you're on. I'm going to watch Peeping Tom too, uh, as well. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to just uh, put my clothes on and out through the cat flap, <laughs> get Rory some food. I'm going to go back uh, to my nest here. We'll see you all as soon as we can. We'll figure out a more uh, regular slot, but uh, thanks a million for listening, and uh, be good, lads. Bye-bye now.